You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here, and I am super glad that you're hanging out with us. Today we have a couple more weeks in 2 Corinthians, and so um, three, I think. So then we'll be on to something else, and we'll share about that later. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the gift of your word that you preserve for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate, that you shine bright, that you point us to Jesus, our only hope in all that is. And today, would you show us the love that you have for us and the way that you care for us despite many voices and and things outside of us that would try to draw us away. Would you bring us to you and let us know that your care is the best care, your love is the best love. We need you, we cling to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the bridge, our our student ministry here, 7th through 12th grade, um, student ministry at the village has been kind of in current form for roughly a year, and there's a lot of people who invest and it's been really good, and so uh, that that's kind of serves as the bridge uh, of discipleship between Kville to like full fledged functioning village life, and so um, in that transitional and, and maybe awkward period of life in, in seventh to twelfth grade, and and so um, they are on a fall retreat right now, and so much of what they're going to be aiming at and, and learning about. Um, has been built around, uh, as I understand, this is what Patrick tells me, around prodigal son. And so, uh, just as a, as a little point, uh, you may know the story of the prodigal son, as we see in Luke chapter 15. I want to talk about that in just a second. Uh, whether you do or not, I just want to encourage you, if there is a, a book, if you're new to faith, or you're just trying to figure out stuff, there's a book called Prodigal God by a guy named Timothy Keller. He does not pay me to say that. Um, but uh, changed my life, and I think it might change yours as well, and so I encourage you um, to read that if you haven't. Um, so anyway, th- there's much more to the story, but here's how this parable that Jesus describes in Luke 15 kind of unfolds. There's, there are two sons, and there are one. The youngest, he demands his, his inheritance while his dad still lives, and that's uh, not really a normal thing that we do now, but it certainly wasn't a normal thing that they did in ancient times and his father, um, and, and he, gives, he gives him what he asks for, and he gives him land that, that obviously can be translated to, to money, and it seems to be some measure of wealth. And, and the, the son, the youngest son, he goes, and what, what we learn in Luke 15, he squandered it in reckless living, all right? And so whatever that might mean to you today, that's probably what it meant then. And so, so he squandered it in reckless living. He was duped by the promises that he thought that freedom would bring to him. Uh, and the story doesn't end there, but, but to help us feel the tone of this text that we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, just consider the, the father's perspective. He loves his son, and there's a lot of assumption here, but let's say he, he loves his, his children, his, his sons. I, I love you, son. I care for you, son. I always have... I've lived to love you well. I've prepared for your future and set aside an inheritance for you. Um, and, and the son, 
receiving all of that, he says, uh, I'm going to head out, right? And so when he, when he does that, um, he, he lets his father know that whatever he thinks uh, is, is best. And so Paul, as we see him continuing to write to the Corinthians here, uh, he has been used to plant the gospel in the life of the, the hearts of these people that are in Corinth. He's pastored, he's loved well, he's cared well, and, and they, the Corinthian, the church, are being duped by a voice that tells them that something else is better. And so kind of the big idea is, is this love warns of deception and sacrifices for truth's sake. And so what we get to see is we get to see what uh, concern from love looks like. And, and we're going to start off uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to read just 1 through 4, and this is what we see. Concern from love fears harmful deception. So read along with me, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and if someone comes and pro- proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So, so what Paul's saying here is, he's saying, entertain me for just a minute. In the previous chapter, he just finished talking about how all of the authority that he has, that all of the influence that he has, that anyone has within the church, comes from the authority of God. And, and then he says, and, and that being so, God used me in your life to, to play matchmaker. He says, I have a jealousy for you because I, put, I betrothed you to one husband. Like, I, I'm, I, I was the matchmaker that let you find one another so that I might present you pure to him. And so he's, he's saying, look, this, your, your love story with God, that's between you and Jesus, but, but I'm vested, right? I'm vested in, in your life. Uh, weeks ago, I received a message from somebody outside of this church that had never been a part of this church, and what, what they said to me, uh, they knew me a little bit. They, they reached out and they said, um, they're, uh, they're, there's a family that's connected to your church recently, and I just want you to know that they're precious and they're dear. And I just, I just want to make sure that you're taking care of them. Like, that's precious. Because what it, it shows is that person gives a rip about the people that, that they're invested in. All right, that's the way that the church ought to interact, right? That's, that's a good thing. And, and likewise, we've sent many people out in the last year, and, and many of you know uh, Brittany and, and Miguel Napa. And so they kind of moved south and, and work and some other stuff, and, um, and so they, they went on a journey to find another church, and they're still kind of figuring out what that is. But, but I feel the same way, and I hope that you feel the same way, not just about them, but about others. And so I'm like checking in. Well, we, we tried this one. We tried this one. Oh, you know, well, I know those people, and let me know where you stick because I want to have a conversation 
with, with the pastor there to let them know, gosh, that you're, that you're precious and that you better be taken care of, right? So, so that's the heart that, that Paul is kind of leading with, and he gives this kind of gripping analogy of our intimacy with Jesus, and he says that the church is a bride, and we see this throughout, uh, throughout Scripture, the church is a bride, and, and, and her groom is Christ. And in Ephesians, Paul uses the same thing. He says, he, he gives our purpose for marriage, and he says it's to reflect this relationship, that the husband is to reflect Christ, Christ, and that the wife is to reflect uh, the church. And so, if you're married, or if you desire to be married, or, or if one day you become married, like, your, your marriage is bigger than you falling in love and, and living happily ever after. Your marriage has a responsibility, and in that, in that responsibility, it's to reflect a, a bigger picture than just boy meets girl, they fall in love and get married. It's to reflect the, the sacrifice that Jesus lays down for his bride, the church, and the, and the faithful response that the church gets to walk in. And so, so Paul knows all this, and so what he says is, is this groom Jesus, he is faithful when we're faithless. This groom Jesus, he seeks us when we hide. Uh, he knows us when we don't search him. He succeeds where we fail. He suffers where we deserve justice. He pays where we accrue debt. He loves where we demand. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for us when we seek to crucify him. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. He's saying he is your primary, he is your number one, he is your one flesh, your greatest prize, your greatest defender, the gift of all gifts, but I fear you have wandering eyes. And you either don't care or you're not even aware. That's, that's the concern. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He's saying you're falling for lies and lures and distractions intended to take you away from your first love. And Paul's saying, I'm not your first love, right? Jesus is. That's what I, that's what I care about. And the reality is, for us today, we get to be mindful of, of these same precautions. I'm afraid you've drifted apart. You wouldn't know the real Jesus, the true spirit, the good news, if it, if it punched you in the mouth and you're putting up with it. Uh, you're putting up with deceiving imposters quite readily. And he points back and he, and he hearkens to Eve, who is duped by the cunning craftiness of the serpent. He says, your thoughts will be led astray from, from pure devotion. See, the reality is sound doctrine, it really does matter. What we believe to be true, it really does matter. And, and some people say, no oh, man, like, that's really great. Uh, as long as you believe in something. Like what, what a, a fragile worldview that if you just believe in something tenaciously, then it won't let you down. And so Paul's saying, no, no, sound doctrine really does matter. Don't be led astray from, from pure devotion. It's not enough to believe, but we must believe in what is true. And so for us, 
listen, I, I would use Paul's precaution and put the same warning sign on, on our hearts today. You follow Jesus, but you don't know Him or you don't know where He leads. And, and if the voice you thought was Jesus led you somewhere where Jesus never would, would you even be aware to notice? And I'll say it a more horrifying way. If, if the only way you know Jesus is by this guy standing up and talking to you for 40 minutes once a week, that is dangerous. If the only way you trust sound doctrine is to, to, to follow the people that you follow and to read the blogs that they write and to let them tell you what's true, you're, you're building your life on an insufficient mediator, myself included. So, so we get to do this, and we get to labor together, and we get to herald truth, and you get to correct me when I'm wrong, right? And we get to walk things out and figure this stuff out together, right? But, but don't hang your soul on the words of a false mediator. We, we have this book, which is good and true, and, and for us, and builds us up, and corrects us, and shapes us, Okay? So, so uh, and, or, or maybe you, you say the spirit of truth dwells within and, and he shines light the path of righteousness in, in life, yet you quench him because you don't know what righteousness looks like and you don't submit to the truth of the spirit or, or, or the spirit of truth when that confronts your life. Or you believe the gospel, this is what Paul's saying, you believe the gospel but you live, live as if uh, the, the news really isn't that effective to save or you live as if this good news really isn't uh, effective or, or great to transform your life and so what Paul is saying is is the spirit is near the father cares the groom cares and what I would say is I care and collectively we care and my, my prayer is that this Jesus this spirit this one true gospel would once again take center stage in your heart, that it would compel you to follow him, that it would inspire you to care again and convict you to pursue reconciliation and walk towards faithfulness because love warns of deception and sacrifices for truth's sake. The second thing that we see is is this concern from love demonstrates personal sacrifice. Will you shoot that video up here? This is a silent video because they're speaking another language and I don't know what they're saying, but uh, just check this out. You might know what they're saying. That would be problematic. Now, like, if you're just scrolling through your, your YouTube feed and this video comes up, that's funny, right? If you put yourself in the perspective of that shepherd, that's not funny. Friends know this. Believe me that parents know, know that. The deepest and most personal pains that I've 
endured as a pastor have come from this very tension that, that I love, that, that I care for, that I have your best interest in mind. You don't read that. You don't care back, right? My guess is you've been on both sides of that, that you've cared deeply and you got, you got punched in the mouth, that you've been cared for deeply and, and you went out swinging. <clears throat> those, who, uh, those who suffer and struggle with, with substance abuse or addiction, or those who are drawn away by, uh, by relationships that, that everyone knows are destructive, the lure of lust or, or, or false love, those are probably the most visible expressions of this painful dilemma uh, of the heart and, and of relationship. They hurt themselves, they hurt others, and for what? Something that takes life literally from uh, our veins and it, and, it, and it builds up a breach of trust and, and it's pain soaked in burden. Right? You, you've probably all been in relationships or you've seen relationships that show up that way, but to be fair, it's one thing to say, I, I, I care. I really care for you. As a parent or as a pastor or as a friend or, or anything else, it's one thing to say that you care and it's another thing to demonstrate that love, right? And, and concern from love demonstrates personal sacrifice. It gives up much for the sake of the one who runs. So Paul says this, I humbled myself so that you might know Jesus free of charge. He says, I robbed other churches all right, I, yeah, to serve you. I, I had need, and, and, and did I ask you? I did not ask you. All right? uh, did you help me? You did not help me. But others did. I haven't burdened you, and I won't. Why? And this is what he says at, at the end of this little section in, in verse 11. He says, why? Um, because I don't love you? God knows I love you. So, so he's, he's pouring himself out, and, and let me just read this, uh, 11, 5 through 11. Uh, Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might not be exalted, so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. And this is hyperbole. I, hyperbole. I don't think he actually, because I don't think guns existed at that point. Um, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you, and when I was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. Remember, he's... he's uh, Two chapters back, he's asking them to give to the poorer churches at Macedonia. Come to find out that when Paul was, was planting the church in Corinth, it was those poorer churches who were giving and supporting Paul so that he might plant the gospel to the Corinthians. So I refrained, and I will refrain from burdening you in any way, as the truth of Christ is in me, the boasting of mine will not be silenced uh, in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I love you. And then he goes on. Right? If you have a Bible, gosh, read along. I, I just want you to read what he says. In verse, uh, we're starting in verse 16. He says, I repeat, let no one think me a, uh, foolish. 
But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. So he's, he's, he's contrasting himself with the, like, air quote, super apostles that are influencing the Corinthians and leading them astray from what is true. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. Lots of sarcasm. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts, puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we, we were too weak for that. So he's saying, like we've been in relationships, and he's saying, you're, you're running head over heels to self-harm for what? They're going to enslave you and, and beat you and take advantage of you. Please stop doing that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So in all this thing, he's like, gosh, and I care deeply that you all are well. Who is weak? And I am not weak? Like he's fighting against the accusation that he hears from the others. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in the basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Why does he say all that? Right? He's giving a resume of his suffering, which Paul has endured for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Corinthians. And he's basically saying, why would I do those things if not for my love for you? Why would I endure? Like, I can go get a job. I, I can go uh, stop doing this and, and give up on you guys and give up on the gospel and give up on building the kingdom. I can go make a fine living Right? And, and walk off into retirement and collect seashells all the days of my life. I do this for the sake of truth that it might come to bear in your heart. Right? So, so that the gospel might advance for the kingdom, for you. And, and, and can I tell you, whether you suffer uh, for, for us, whether you suffer at the alienation and rejection 
of another, or whether you are the one who, who, who has or who is rejecting those who love and care for you, um, there is one greater than Paul. There, there is one who suffered even greater than Paul in the face of an even greater rejection, and his name is Jesus. And in every single one of us, we are the ones who have ran, who have rebelled, who have rejected his care, who have turned from his never-failing love. And by his grace, some of us have, have turned our hearts toward him. We've been awakened by the Spirit to see Him. We've been awakened by the Spirit to see truth, to hear truth proclaimed, and, and to see ourselves and to cling to the only hope that we have in life or death, the mercy, the grace, the deepest love ever imagined that we might turn to embrace our one true love, that we might turn from unfaithful hearts to faithful trust in a love which never flees, never fails, is, is better than any false lover, than any fleeting high, our rescue, our rock, our redeemer, Christ the Lord. And what we see is, is Jesus is the one who demonstrated divinely personal sacrifice, which, which laid down his life for us so that we might pick up his life and truly live. The last thing that we see is, is concern from love engages deceitful influence. So let's read 12 through 15. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servant also disguised themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Paul's concern from love engages deceitful influence. And so what he says is the lies of the influential gospel imposters who leverage deceitful schemes at your expense. See, people seem to get kind of up in arms when, when Christians lob attacks at other Christians, right? Um, and, and to be fair, it's, it's never been more prevalent. Like throughout all of church history, if, if you read, if you study church history, not just the, the Reformation in the 1500s where, where people are standing up and they're saying, this is not right, this is true, uh, why aren't we believing this to be true? Right? And they're picking fights, and they're getting ran out of towns, right? and they're getting burned at stakes. But when you look at the history of the church, this happened from the first century all the way on, that there were, there were public debates and forums, that, that, that there were councils where they would come together, and they would try to, by the Spirit, determine what is true. Right? But, but they, they had to like send a letter uh, via 
courier pigeon or over a boat or like whatever. And so things were localized in specific towns and stuff spread slowly. But now like we have like, you can look at the entire world on the tiny little screen that's in your pocket right now. Right? You can see what the whole world is saying right now about any one particular topic. And so it's, it's never been easier to pick fights. It, and to be fair, it's, it's be fired. Right? We do get too focused uh, on, on our distinction rather than being unified by uh, the, the aligned identity that we have in Christ. All true. What, what we get to do is we get to give benefit of doubt. That, that's a lost art. Right? And, and I'm a recovering cynic. So I, I say this from someone that, that has to labor for this. I don't trust you. Right? Default answer, no. What's the question? I don't know. So, so benefit of the doubt is something that for someone like me is, is earned. Right? But, but that is destructive. Right? And I'm not saying be a fool, but I'm saying, gosh, we get to leverage benefit of doubt. And, and here's the reality. As I've been a pastor of, of this church for 10 years now, I, I look at people that I've taken shots at, gosh, and, and I love them and I respect them and I care for them more today than I ever have. Right? And I see pastors or ministry leaders that have failed me in the past or, 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 or I thought were failing me, then I see that, gosh, they do some things so much better than I ever could. Right? I think that's maturity. I think that's growth. That's what we get to do. All right? Perspective gets bigger. Um, so, so we get to give benefit of the doubt. We get to engage with and not against when we have doctrinal divide. There, you, you see the difference? Engage with and not against. Right? I, I coach soccer, and what I tell the parents at the beginning of the season is, hey, if, if there are like any issues or whatever, uh, would, would way rather you talk to me than about me. All right? So, so we get to do that. We get to engage with, not against. We get to engage, we get to fight for truth, uh, not against others. We get to make main things, main things, seek clarity, seek peace, seek unity, all those things. But at the very same time, literal names of false prophets, of deceitful workmen who wield influence as darkness in robes of light, as wolves wearing grandma's blouse, right? And I just want to read a, a few of them. Right? Hey, hey, what's your claim to fame? I, I'm in the Bible. Oh, wow. Like, what does it say about you? L- let me read. All right? First Timothy. Some have rejected these, uh, these good things, faith and good conscience, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. They're recorded in the Holy Scriptures, right? My great, 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 great uncle Hymenius. Oh my gosh. Tell me about him. Yeah, Paul handed him over to Satan so that he would be taught a lesson not to blast. Can you imagine? He's not really my great whatever. I'm just saying, right? Um, and so, so let's, let's read on. In 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is Paul to Timothy. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will, will spread like gangrene. 
among them, Hymenius, gosh, oh man, and, and Philetus, who have wandered away from truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. I just want you to see what Paul's doing here. He's writing to local leaders of a local church and he's writing names. He's not saying, he's not speaking vaguely. He's writing names that, that are, that are in. these brothers are scheming, conniving, manipulative. They are wayward and they will lead you away, right? We go on. 2 Timothy, the next chapter. They are the kind who, who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the, the truth. Just as uh, Jean Ace and Jean Brace oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. Look, Paul's, Paul's doing the same thing, and he doesn't give us names, but we have to consider how the Bible's written. There's a writer and there's a reader. Uh, they both know the situation. They both know their history. They, they both know one another. They both know the key players well. Uh, and remember, I, I know we've said this a lot recently, but it's really important. The Bible is not written to us. Right? And, and, and that, might, that might change everything for you. The Bible is not written to us, but it is preserved for us. And the reason why I, I make such a big deal about that is it changes the way that you seek, it changes the way that you interpret, it changes the way that you study, it changes the way that, that we preach. That it, it's why we spend so much time looking at Paul and what's happening. Because if we don't do that, then we're just taking text and we're just applying them to our life without understanding where they come from. That changes everything. So, so they know what's going on. Paul isn't... Uh, preserving unity with distinction among believers with these people. Satan who disguise themselves, uh, themselves as servants of righteousness. And, and this is what he says. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Like, you know what that means? They'll get what's coming to them. It's exactly what it means. And the same is true today. Right? And, and you don't see me typically engaging and blasting people on social media. Or, or if you guys post, this is where I... If someone in this room, I'm not thinking of you, all right, if you do this. You post a, a horoscope and you say, hey, this is whatever. Right? The beauty of the maturity of this church is the majority of us would say... Oh, gosh. <laughs> the beauty of us, that the majority of the church would say, don't live your life by a horoscope. That is not the compass that's going to build the fabric and the foundation of your life. And some of you engage online, and man, there's nothing wrong with that, right? And, and, and I don't typically, you know, pull pin, right? 
That's, that's not the way that I'm using my influence right now in this time of my life. But you know what I love? That, that some of you do. I, I love it. I love that we get to be a, a church that's built on truth, that one another is well, that I don't have to gate every single thing, but, but we together gate truth and love. And, and to be completely honest, I think we do a really good job. You all do a really good job, right? And so, so, so Paul's concern is not, right, and I want you to hear this, his concern is not primarily for those false apostles, those super apostles, but his concern is primarily for the ones who are being deceived, the ones who are being swayed, the ones who are being led astray by those false apostles. He's concerned for the Corinthians, and, and this is maybe a good way to summarize it. He, he's not, uh, he's not, his, his aim is not merely to shoot wolves. His aim is to protect sheep. And it's easy to get that motivation confused. We get to remember we too once walked in darkness. And at the same time, we have a responsibility to one another within a sphere of influence to engage sheep about threatening wolves that are among the fold, that are, that are influencing the fold. And, and so, so what? Well, what, what do we do with all of that? You know, when you, when you hear a story and you kind of align yourself with one of the characters, that's kind of what you do. Um, and when, when you read this, and you, you see all the exchange, maybe you have aligned yourself with one of these characters, and there are really three. And so, there's, there's Paul, who is the defender, the shepherd. If you're saying, yeah, that's me, I'm a beacon of, of, of love and truth. And there are people around me, right? And, and you can say that arrogantly or prideful, or you can say that legitimately. You can say, gosh, there are people in my life that I feel this way about, right? Paul shares God's heart for God's people. And, and, and we can know God better by this truth that we see in this text. He cares deeply for his own. So much that he raises up good leaders and, and good people among good community. He builds them up to care. Whatever your influence, whatever your leadership, whatever your oversight we all get to care deeply for God's that we can to sway the wayward back, to point the drifter home, to bring those who walk in darkness back to light. The second character is the Corinthians. They're being swayed away, right? They're, they're the wayward sheep. And they're new-ish believers who were ingrained in the world. And, and Corinth was like, like uh, Vegas or Amsterdam, Right? And, and so, so they have a lot of baggage, all right? And so it's of the one true spirit or the spirits of the age. We consider the charge that, that Paul labors over them. He says, you're following another Jesus or, or a different spirit or, or you're accepting a different gospel and, and you're just putting up with it. Do you know the true Jesus on God's terms? Do you walk with the Spirit of truth who lives within you? Do you really know the best news? And do you let that news shape every part of every other news? Do you dig deep? Do you lean in? Do you learn from? Do you walk with and make certain the assumptions of your theology are found anchored to the author 
of truth. And here's a promise I want to give you. If you want to grow roots and you're a part of this family, let us know and, and we will walk alongside you to help establish roots that bear godly fruit. But here's another promise. If you're a part of this family and you have roots, we may ask you to be one of the ones that walk with those who have no roots. That's what discipling relationships are, right? That we walk with one another to let, to let us both look more and, and follow Jesus better. Uh, the aggressors, the wolf, if this is you and you're mindful of it, repent. If you're living a life that's deceitful and fake, let God wreck your life for the sake of your soul right here and right now and, and for the sake of those whom you harm. Uh, a guy named Matt Carter says of the prodigal son, the prodigal son has been told a lie and become convinced that a better life awaits him outside his father's home and he acts on that lie. But that lie isn't true. When the prodigal son finds this out, that what he thought would bring him joy and freedom actually led him to, a, to long after the food that, that pigs were eating. When, when, he, when he came to the end of himself, he turns back home and, and he, he rehearses, gosh, what am I going to say to dad? I'm going to start off by saying, and, and i got to get my story right. And he turns down the road, and Dad comes running out. And he just grabs him, and he wraps him up, and he gives him a hug. And the son says, Dad, I just, and, and, and Dad says, Son, I don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm just glad that you're home. So come on in. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. I want everyone to know that my son is home. And today we each have the same opportunity that the Corinthians had, that the prodigal son had. We get to turn home, right? Love warns of deception and sacrifices for truth's sake. So today we get to pray right where you are. There's a prayer bench over there. There'll be a, we get to re respond. And, and wherever you are in this life, we, we, we want you to believe differently. We want you to live differently. And so maybe that looks like joining the family and trusting Jesus to give you eternal life and peace with him. Maybe it looks like committing. Or if there's anything that we can help you out with, we would love to do that. Fill out a connect card or hunt us down, and we would love to talk with you. All right? We also get to remember and declare the life of Jesus that gives us life. And we do that by taking of the bread and dipping it in the, the drink as a reminder of the, the body of Jesus that was broken for us and his blood that was spilled for us. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you let us know that you're near? Would you convict our hearts? Would you draw us back? Would you love us in the way that only you can? Would you let us be a church that, that cares for one another, that invests in one another, that recognizes that, that we're not one character in this story, but at times we're all of these characters, 
that we're drawn away and that, that we get to point others home. And, and at times we deceive ourselves or others. But it's you, the good shepherd, who lays down your life for us so that we might walk in faithfulness. Will you let us be bold to believe today. Would you let us be bold to engage in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.